Hey, Carol, come on in here. Where are the rest of you? Are you sleeping this morning? Did you change your clocks? I certainly hope so. It's time for Coffee with Scott Adams and the simultaneous sip, the best thing that ever happened to you today. And all you need to enjoy the simultaneous sip is a cup or a mug or a glass, a tank or chalice or stein, a canteen jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine hit of the day, the thing that makes everything, including the coronavirus, better. Go. Mmm. 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 How about that? So, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little bit tired of the coronavirus. A little bit tired of it. Uh, Ted Cruz and I are self-quarantining. Um, in, in the case of Ted Cruz, he was potentially expo- exposed to the virus by a visitor to CPAC. So he has decided to voluntarily quarantine himself, to which I say, good work, Ted Cruz. I like it when our senators are good role models for what we should be doing. So I don't think Ted Cruz is likely to have the virus, but I think it's a good thing that he he did the uh, appropriate thing and he self-quarantined. Don't you, do you ever wonder when you see a senator self-quarantining quarantining, and he gets to go home and you think to yourself, is that really a penalty? Because how many people are sort of going to enjoy the time off? Because in the case of Ted Cruz, he's not even sick. So uh, this is the only situation where you can get a sick day without being sick. Do, do you feel it yet? There's going to be a little bit of abuse. So let me put it this way. If you'd like to get three weeks off of work, find somebody who is suspected of having the coronavirus and shake their hand. Wash your hand immediately. Immediately after shaking the hand, wash the hand. 20 seconds, soap it all up. And then tell your boss, my God, I think I've been exposed to the coronavirus. I'm going to self-quarantine. I'll see you in three weeks. Of course, you still have to work because you got that internet and everything. But I think a lot of people are going to enjoy their time off. Um, And... uh, you know, I'm looking at my next few months of essentially self-quarantining, and because I'm in I'm in the danger area, I'm over a certain age, and I've got a history of asthma, so I'm basically going to be hiding for months. And I've been trying to figure out how to maximize my experience of hiding for months. And here's a little trick for you: never let a good crisis go wasted. I think uh, somebody said that famously. Mayor of New York, I think, or I'm sorry, Mayor Mayor of Chicago, whose name is, you'll tell me in the comments. Um, but this is one of those cases. If you know in advance, there's a really good chance that you're going to be spending way too much time at home. Figure out what is it that you always wanted to do if you only had enough time, and then make it an opportunity. In my case, um, I won't be able to go to my regular gym, and so I thought, oh. Well, this is a this is a situation where I can work on those other things. I could work in my 
arms, for example, you know, put more attention to that because I've got, you know, free weights at home. So find out what it is you can do that you always wanted to do if you only had enough time because a lot of us are going to have enough time now. I also think people are going to spend more time around their families. <laughs> if people don't go out as much, they might just spend more time around their family. Maybe that's good too. All right, let's see what's going on. So as you know, there was an attendee at the CPAC. Uh, all the important Republicans were there. And one of them shook hands, somebody who was confirmed to have the coronavirus, shook hands with Ted Cruz. And I think was it Representative Gosar who also said he was going to self-quarantine for the same reason. So I don't know if anybody else had it. Um, we're seeing uh, Rahim Kasim is reporting that uh, he may have contracted it. He's got a little fever, and he was there, and he met that individual. Now, here's a really interesting... Um, oh, Rahm Emanuel is the mayor of... Uh, of Chicago, who said, don't waste a good crisis, or words to that effect. Anyway, um, it's really interesting, isn't it, that we don't know the name of the person who infected people at CPAC, because whoever it was was shaking hands with all the important people. So it's somebody who's kind of important. But you've got this weird balance where that person's you know, safety and health, privacy are at risk, the person who is the, the spreader. At the same time, what about all the people who were nearby or shook his hands? Don't they have a right to know? Doesn't everybody have a right to know if they were exposed? So you've got two impossible rights that can't be reconciled. And, and watching this play out is really interesting. Um, but how impressed are you that the name hasn't been published? You know, obviously, if Ted Cruz knows that he, w he came in contact with the person, it, it should be obvious that lots of people know the name of the individual. Have you ever seen something of this level of importance that was universally not reported? It's kind of impressive that, that nobody's reporting it, because there's got to be a lot of people who know the name of the person by now. In fact, some of you probably know the name by now, but nobody reports it. And I, I'm not sure, I don't even know if that's good or bad, because I do think the people who were potentially exposed need to know, but if the person presumably is cooperating with authorities and they're tracking who, who this person talked to and touched, so maybe they're already being informed if they were getting close enough to this person, but I'd certainly like to know if I were sitting next to him and you know, if you were sitting next to the person, you might recognize that person, but the person might not remember you. So he wouldn't, you know, he or she would not be, uh, would not know to tell authorities that you had been exposed because it wouldn't even know your name. It was just somebody that sat next to you. So I think maybe you do have a right to have that name, but that's a tough balance because whoever that is, uh, through no fault of their own, presumably, um, would have a tough time if the name got out. All right. Uh, why is it... There, there's one big mystery, and it's the biggest mystery, it's the one that matters the most about this coronavirus. Why is it that... So here are some things that I can't understand. Why is it that China and now South Korea reporting today that the number of new cases is falling which would suggest they're getting a handle on it. 
And experts saying it's the, the worst, gnarliest virus in a while. But at the same time, um, here's a question I ask. Why is it that I don't hear about people just dying of the regular flu? Just the regular flu. Because apparently there could be you know, 50,000 Americans a year dying of the regular flu. But I never hear of it. And yet I hear about people dying of overdoses, drug overdoses, all the time. People I know personally, people in my family. And it's around the same number per year. Now, it could be that the drug overdoses are more unexpected and they're younger people, so we hear about it. Whereas if a senior citizen dies, maybe they don't even bother to say it was the flu, it was just pneumonia, and that's what always gets them, and it's either that or their heart. And so it could be some kind of a weird reporting thing. And I'm still trying to get a handle on whether this coronavirus is a mass hysteria or actually real. And we've sort of gotten to this point, and I still don't know for sure if it's real or if it's a mass hysteria. Now, the argument for mass hysteria goes like this. So yesterday there was uh, an official in the Health and Human Services, um, uh, Admiral uh, Brett Girard, Assistant Secretary for Health at Health and Human Services. So this is an official government person who has official government information. And as of yesterday, he said the best estimates now for the overall mortality rate for COVID-19 is somewhere between 0.1% and 1%. Now, 0.1% would be right on normal virus. If it's true that the death estimate is between 0.1% and 1%, because I guess the denominator, they keep getting better information on it, so the number is, is going lower. That puts it, if it's 0.1, it's right at normal virus. If it's 1%, it's 10 times as deadly as a normal virus. But still, it's been lowering every time they update it. We haven't had a situation, I don't think yet, where it's gone up, right? Every time we get better numbers, the numbers are lower. So... Here's the thing I don't understand. How do we explain that there were these clusters of deaths on the one cruise ship and in the one um, old people home, whatever it's called, uh, rest home, nursing home, whatever it was? How do we explain those two clusters of high deaths? Because they go way beyond what you'd expect from coincidence. But on the other hand, don't coincidences happen? (laughs) <laughs> hasn't there has there ever been uh let's say uh um, what are they called old people homes rest homes nursing homes what's the right there's a correct term for that i don't think i'm using it but has there ever been one where you know 10 people died in a in a month my guess is yes right so here's what i'm trying to sort out Imagine these two possibilities. One is exactly what's being reported. There's this gnarly virus. The scientists have discovered it. It's bad. It's killing more people than normal. That's what's being reported, and all the evidence would support that. But here's the other possibility. Why, if this virus was just sort of everywhere, and uh, it was just all over the place, 
And then for other reasons, there were clusters of people dying. Because there are clusters of people who die, right? That's got to be a thing. There got to be cruise ships where you have several people die. But I, I'm not really kind of buying that it could be coincidence. It just, but that's how coincidences work. They fool you. So I could be easily fooled. So here's what I can't understand. The people falling down dead in China and the amount of effort that China put in it suggests it's extra, extra deadly. And so does the cruise ship and so does the nursing home. They all suggest it's extra, extra deadly. But how is it that China and South Korea are getting a hold on it? And, and why is it it doesn't affect children? There's just, uh, uh, I'm sort of rambling here, but the, whole, the point of it is there's some large piece of information that would explain what we're seeing that's missing. Isn't it? I mean, doesn't it seem to you that there's something really important happening that we don't understand? Because we're getting two movies playing simultaneously. One is it's getting under control, and one is it's the worst thing ever, and I don't see how they can both be true. Anyway, we'll find out. Clarity will come. All right. Um, so what else have we got? So here's, here's some things we know about the coronavirus. Uh, and by the way, I'm going to give you some hints on staying, uh, on talking people out of being panicked about it. So that's worth staying for. Um, there are probably two waves coming. So if you don't know this, you should know it now so you're not surprised. The normal, the normal pattern you should expect is that we'll get some kind of control over the coronavirus over the summer with the help of warmer weather, and then it will come roaring back, maybe in the winter. So you should expect us to tamp it down before it comes roaring back. And the thing to worry about is the roar back, because that could be even bigger than the original. Um, here's some new things coming. Apparently the Bill Gates Foundation has funded uh, some kind of a company that can do home testing with a swab. So the, so the ways to test are increasing every day. So thank you, Bill Gates. And I mean that. Thank you, Bill Gates, for being such a productive member of the planet Earth and for now being behind these test kits that you can do at home and mail in. That seems like that's a big deal to me. Um, Balaji Srinivasan was saying on, uh, on Twitter, and I agree, that we need some kind of a right to try uh, legislation or executive order or something for the people who have the coronavirus, and it, there's at least some indication that some existing drugs might make a difference. So there's some thought, and I'm no expert on this area, so I can't, I can't say that I'm... I, I don't, I'll just say that, that the question is out there, whether there should be some right to try some experimental drugs if you have the coronavirus and you could turn suddenly, because I guess people are turning bad suddenly. Um, here's an update. I, I've been talking about we need to uh, temporarily, for the emergency, uh, get rid of the restrictions of doctors uh, practicing across state lines because we might need people in other states to help with the overflow, especially for telemedicine. So I had suggested that the government temporarily do an executive order and say, okay, for now, 
doctors can use telemedicine to practice across state lines just for the emergency. Um, I, I can report that that idea did make it all the way to the White House. So I did get confirmation. Uh, I do have confirmation that the right people in the government have seen the idea and have uh, initially expressed, um, expressed uh, let's see, agreement that that's a high, a high productive thing to look into. So I don't know if that's going to happen. I just know that the model of social media bubbling up ideas to, uh, to people who can make a decision is working. You know, ideas are coming off the Internet um, in sort of a brainstorming way. Hey, how about this? How about this? How about this? And the good ones are actually getting filtered, and they're actually making it to the, the White House in, in less than you know, hours, which isn't remarkable if you think about it. So we'll see if that happens. Here's some other things that are happening. <clears throat> You're seeing the delivery ramping up, a lot of more people telecommuting. You're seeing telemedicine spinning up. You're seeing these uh, far UV robots and test kits. The world is really organizing on this stuff. People are self-organizing and, and they're doing what they need to do. Um, so here's my prediction on the coronavirus. Um, I think I think it's not going to take us down. You know, it's not going to end civilization. I don't think you're going to run out of toilet paper. I think the odds of that are low. I, I have no objection to anybody preparing for disasters because the whole point of it is that they're low percentage events. Um, but what you should expect, prepare for the worst. But what you should expect is we'll we'll muddle through this. Because there is an amazing amount of skill and energy being focused on this problem. You don't see this much energy ever being focused on anything since maybe World War II, I suppose. So um, I think you should be optimistic. The, the track record of human beings versus other entities is 100%. There is no other species, be they bug, bird, lizard or mammal who has ever beaten humanity. <laughs> and I like, I like the odds of humans again against this. Now, of course, um, we'll get through this. Now, at the same time, just to make things interesting, Russia has dropped... Well, they've increased their production, which is dropping the prices. Now, here's what's happening in the world, just so you get the, the lay of the land. Apparently, Russia has figured out how to produce oil very inexpensively. Some of it has to do with the nature of where they're drilling. Some of it has to do with technological and systems improvements. But the world was not quite ready for the fact that Russia can produce oil, and a lot of it, way cheaper than the Middle East. But here's the bad news. Also way cheaper than shale production in the United States. So now that OPEC has not agreed to you know, cooperate and keep their prices high, Russia just went rogue, started, they're going to drill like crazy, produce like crazy, and drive the worldwide price of oil down below the price where Saudi Arabia and the entire American shale industry can even stay in business. So you're watching um, one of the biggest 
um, I would say this is going beyond economic war. This is actual war at this point. So I think it would be fair to say that Russia and Saudi Arabia are actually at war. Uh, the bullets are not flying, but this looks like a complete takedown of an entire country. And it looks like Russia's, uh, Russia's getting ready to take Saudi Arabia out. They will take out also, um, possibly, it's looking that way, the entire shale energy business in the United States, which is big and which is going to be painful and it's going to be expensive. And it doesn't help Donald Trump one bit. Now, what's going to happen with all the pundits who say, hey, Putin's, Putin and Trump, they're practically best friends and all that. If Putin takes out, and it looks like that's exactly what he's doing, as Putin takes out the shale industry in the United States, who is going to say that's good for, the, for Trump? Anybody? Is there anybody who can maintain the argument that Putin and Trump are working in concert for some big evil. Nope. That's gone forever. If Putin takes down our shale industry, it's figuratively war. It's not the real war with bullets. But the United States is not going to roll over while Putin takes out one of our most important industries. That's not going to happen. <laughs> So Putin has some surprises coming. And they would be surprises to me because I don't know what they are. But there's no way we're going to roll over and just say, you know, let's just let Putin control all the energy production that matters in the world. That's not going to happen. So Russia's got some pain coming. They just don't know what it is. And I think the president is probably already looking at his options. And he's probably just going to turn the lights off figuratively, not actually the lights. But I've got a feeling that Russia is in for a big kick in the kick in the pants. All right. Uh, those of you who own stock or are worried about the economy, let me give you some uh, good feelings. Number one, the coronavirus is a weird kind of disaster because it has a timer on it. It might be a one-year problem, it might be a two-year problem, but it's not a three-year problem because by the third year, so many people would be exposed that it just couldn't be the same thing anymore. And when the economy is working as well as it has been and you've got this you know, known problem that lasts X long and at the end of it, you know you're going to be okay, people are going to keep their production at least ready to ramp back up. So I would expect that the ramp back would be very fast. So as my, when the shock is over, the economy is going to roar back pretty quickly. But it's a weird kind of, uh, but not all of it. So I think the travel industry, maybe the cruise industry, the restaurant industry, there will be industries that are just get devastated by this. There's no question about it, and it's going to be ugly. But there are other industries that are being stimulated by this. I'm not even sure the net effect is going to be nearly as negative as anybody imagines. So as soon as, as soon as things start normalizing, they're going to normalize very quickly. So the ramp back up will be extra fast uh, because there's nothing missing. The only thing that's missing is, can we go to work now? And, and as soon as the answer is yes, you can go to work now, 
bam, everything's back to normal. So there's that. Now, the, the Russia situation with energy is a little dicier because that's just a big shock and nobody likes shock and uncertainty. But I, I imagine that the markets will do what the markets do. And meaning that over time, it will find some kind of balance that it doesn't have right now. But remember that when the oil prices drop, it's a gigantic stimulus package for people who buy oil. It's very bad for people who work in the industry or people who own stock in those industries. But if you're just driving your car, you just saved a lot of money. Also, if you canceled your vacation, you just saved a lot of money. So it's, we've never seen an economic shock like this one, where maybe not one for one, but roughly speaking, for every bad thing that this is causing, it's accidentally causing a stimulus somewhere else or some savings that will be spent later, some pent-up demand. This is not like a normal economic shock. It's one where everybody's just sort of pulling back and waiting. Nothing's really broken. You'd have to have something broken to be worried, and nothing's broken. We're actually pulling together and operating as a country you know, more coordinated than we ever have, probably more empathy, more capability, more brains, more power. The United States is really operating at a high level right now of capability. So the odds of us getting through this well in, let's say, a year, maybe two years, are close to 100%. Close to 100%. It's as close to 100% as anything you can, really. So calm down. All right. Um, let me give you some tips for uh, talking other people and of panic. You know, in a, in a time like this of national concern, where we're all looking at this coronavirus stuff, I think uh, you, you notice that a lot of citizens just jump into the breach. And people say, all right, what's my, what's my contribution? What's the thing I can do where I can help? And you just think it's really inspirational and amazing and makes you feel good to be alive. And I, I never want to feel good about a disaster, especially ones where people are dying. But there is something about it that focuses and improves the human condition. You know, we, we do get hardened by, by trauma and formed by trauma. And this is certainly one of those cases. So there's, there's something horrible about this, a lot horrible about it, the coronavirus, and there's something beautiful about it. And it can be true at the same time. You, you know, the, the way people are reacting, you know, the people who are jumping into the breach and saying, you know, you're not, you know, not on my watch. <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole uh, civilization, you know, sort of acted as one and said, yeah, yeah, virus, take your best shot, but it's not going to be on my watch, you know. So watching people jump in, risking their life, you know, their their happiness, their pleasure, sacrificing, you know, their sleep, their their personal safety. And we have no shortage. Have you ever heard anybody say, since this started, has anybody said there's a shortage of people who want to help? No. No, there's no shortage of people who want to help. And it's really dangerous stuff. So that's amazing, and we should not lose sight of that. But here's why you should not be as worried as perhaps you are. 
So these are some tips for talking other people out of their worry. And here's the main one. We're confusing statistical risk with personal risk. And it's because we watch the news. If you never had any news, you'd probably just get a cold and take some days off and go home, and you would never even know there was a problem. So the first thing you have to understand is that the way you feel about the problem has um, probably 80% of it has to do with the way it's being presented to you. And that we live in a world where presenting scary things is a good business model for the news. So you are being scared beyond where the, where the risk might be appropriate for you specifically. Now, it is good to scare society. So society does all the right things. I'm in favor of scaring society. But if you're trying to decide you individually, how scared should you be? Here's what's to keep in mind. The coronavirus is a statistical risk. It's not a personal risk. It is, but it's so small, you could almost ignore it. The statistical risk is that there's a guarantee that some thousands of Americans will die from this. Guaranteed. A 100% chance that some number of people, we hope it's not thousands, but, you know, it, people are dying. There's, no, there's nothing that will stop some number of people from dying from any flu this flu or any other flu. So that's just going to happen. It was going to happen anyway at some rate. But, and we should treat that risk very seriously, even if we don't know the names of the people who are going to die. But let's say we're talking about you. What are the odds that you specifically will get a coronavirus and die? So small, it's, it vanishes your actual individual risk just disappears. It's a, it's a system risk. It's people whose names you don't know who almost certainly are not going to be you. Almost certainly. There will be a lot of them. They have real names. They're real people. We care about them. But almost impossible that it will be you specifically, given the, the nature of this. So that's the first thing people need to know, is that when we, everybody talking about the risk, it's a statistical risk. It's not you. The odds of you dying are pff, nothing. So let's take me as an example. What are the risks that I, Scott Adams, will die of the coronavirus? So small, it's the last thing I'm worried about. But I'm still going to do everything I need to do to protect myself, you know, the, the staying out of crowds and washing hands and all that stuff, because I'm part of the system. So my contribution to keeping myself healthy actually is not that much about me. You know, I mean, it's good for me, just in case. But it's mostly about if we all do what we're supposed to do to stay healthy and, and stay uninfected and, and do what we're supposed to do, we reduce the system risk. So everything you're doing to keep yourself safe, think of it as a system safety. Your actual risk, practically nothing. Um, the other thing I would suggest if, you, if people are trying to feel better is to do something. As long as you're doing something, you have a sense of control. I tell you, I've told you that I go for a walk every day, in the, you know, especially uh, on the sunny days, get some vitamin D, get mild exercise, keeps my, keeps my uh, immunity up. I'm making sure I get enough sleep. I'm eating right. I'm doing all those things. So I feel like I'm doing something. You know, I've, I put in some supplies just in case. I don't think we're going to run out of any supplies. Because supplies are the one things that really isn't, 
the, the industries that are at risk are the ones where large gatherings get together, you know, events and restaurants and such. The ones that are not at risk, because you can still operate even if a lot of employees are, are sick that week, are things that make stuff. So I don't think we're going to run out of stuff. We're not going to run out of electricity and water and toilet paper and food. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think you just will, your recreation will be limited for a while. Um, here's some more context. Humanity is really good at emergencies. Really good. And already we've got a, you know, China's got a handle on it. And how hard was that? South Korea's got a handle on it now. The number of new cases are decreasing. How hard was that? How many people are there in China and South Korea who are infected and they still got a hold of it? Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Uh, I would suggest people that they stop binge-watching all the virus porn because the news talks about whatever's in the news, whatever, you know, whatever's interesting. It doesn't mean you have to watch all of it. It might be good enough just to you know, pick up the statistics every day and say, okay, how's it look today? All right, let's go on with my day. Um, I also recommend that you make stress relief a full-time job. So don't allow yourself to just get more and more stressed and say, well, I can, I can handle it. Just go after it because your stress level is what's uh, degrading your immune response. So at least during the, the time of the coronavirus risk, I would say you should make it your full-time job to get a nap, relax, do some meditating, exercise, you know, do whatever it takes for you to, to reduce some stress because that will uh, reduce your cortisol levels and make you safer. So those are the main things. Reminding people that their risk is vanishingly small, actually smaller than driving a car, smaller than getting in a plane in general. It's as small as you can get. Somebody's talking about the William Hoff method of breathing to boost immunity. Um, you can read up on that. William Hoff breathing method. Just Google it, and you can make your own decision about that. Uh, somebody says, wash your bananas. Okay. So... Let's, let's try to make something positive out of this coronavirus. We're all going to be staying home, staying out of crowds, or at least those of us of a certain age. Figure out what you can do, that, where you can come out ahead. At the end of three months, have a new skill, be a little more fit, be a little more relaxed, learn how to meditate, do something useful. All right. Um, that's, uh, uh, let, let's talk about the funniest story of the day. This, this is the funniest political story, um, and it's funny for all the wrong reasons. I mean, I, there's a shot in Freud here, meaning that I enjoy other people's misfortune, but they had it coming, so this is different. So you've all seen it now, by now the Biden um, sound clip and video clip in which he seems to be all confused, and at the end he says something about uh, you know, helping President Trump get elected. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, it turns out that it's an edited clip. And when I say edited, I don't mean that any of the clip that you're seeing is edited, but rather they cut out the last few seconds after the clip. If you had seen the last few seconds, you would know that the sentence where Biden appears to be saying, 
will do nothing but elect President Trump, it, he's not endorsing him. The rest of the sentence is, is something like, I'm just paraphrasing here, but something like, we'll elect President Trump unless we do X, Y, Z. So the part that's cut out is the unless we do X, Y, Z. And if you cut that out, it looks like he's accidentally so confused he endorsed President Trump. And that's, that's the way people are having fun with it. Now, does that sound familiar? Yes, it does, because it's exactly what the left did to President Trump with the fine people hoax. Because, and, and what do people say when they see the fine people hoax video? They say, Scott, 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 I'm not mistaken. I'm looking at the actual unedited video of what the president said, and I'm watching him call those Nazis fine people. It's right there. I'm looking at it. I believe my own ears and my own eyes. And then you say, yeah, but they cut out the last part where he made sure that you didn't think that by saying, in case you, know, in case you had accidentally thought that, he doesn't say that part. But he says, um, he clarifies, he says, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the, and the white nationalists who should be condemned totally. So you cut that part out, and you leave the first part, and it reverses the meaning. It reverses it. It's 100% different than the actual meaning. Now, what did people say when I said, hey, that fine people uh, clip is edited? They said, Scott, 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 it's not edited. I watched it live. I watched it on tape. It's the same thing I watched live. There's nothing edited. It's exactly what he said. And they can't seem to understand that the part that got left out reversed its meaning until... Joe Biden had it happen to him. <laughs> and this is the fun part, because it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same trick. They just took out the last part that reversed its meaning, put it out there, and some millions of people saw the original clip. You know, the clip millions saw the clip without the, the part on the end. And then it gets, you know, people realize that that's misleading, and they put out the correction, but how many people see the correction? 10%, maybe? So you get a 9-to-1 benefit with the fake, fake news clip. Now, there are some of you who are protesting, and you're saying, Scott, 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 the Biden clip is not misleading because the point of it is not that anybody really thought he was endorsing President Trump. Nobody really thought that. That was just, that was just funny. But they did think he was doddering and confused. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it does show him doddering and confused. I would agree with that. Um, but doddering and confused in a way that's not entirely different from this stuttering excuse that he's using, which isn't a bad excuse, I got to say. Um, so Biden has said that he's had a stutter in the past. Some have suggested that he, do, he uses a trick where if he feels a stutter coming, a word that he doesn't want to pronounce, that stutters have learned to do a workaround where they use other words instead, and you can become not fluent because you're thinking too hard about substituting words, and then you sound confused, but what you're really doing is trying to think and talk and substitute words at the same time, and it's just too much. Now, I happen to have some experience with that because I had a voice problem for three and a half years. It wasn't a stutter, but I had the same issue. There were some words I couldn't pronounce. And 
And I would, I would do that same trick. I would try to say sentences. So if I asked for a Diet Coke because I had a voice problem in which I could not pronounce uh, Coke, I, I would have to say something. Uh, uh, I'll have my usual. It's a soda. It's, you know, it's the brown one. You know, it's, it's the one I usually have. And then I just sound like an idiot because I'm just trying to talk around using the word Coke because I know my mouth can't pronounce it. So... Is Joe Biden losing it? I, I think obviously yes. I think there is something about that stutter workaround thing that is true, but I think he used to be better at it because he was a little more, um, let's say, sharp. So I don't think that the excuse of him talking around the stutter is telling you everything you need to know. I think he probably always did it, but we didn't notice before because he was a little more clever about it. Um, so anyway, that's just sort of a beautiful karma that the Democrats are having to deal with that. Uh, there's an article in uh, Breitbart today, uh, a little write-up of an interview I did on the radio with uh, Joel Pollack last night about Bernie and Biden. If you want to see that, you might see my opinion on what's going to happen in the election. Um, why isn't Bernie making Biden's decline an issue? Well, uh, that seems to be consistent with Bernie. So Bernie has been trying to run a campaign that's not about the people, but is a little bit more about you know, the policies. Of course, he went after President Trump for uh, allegedly being racist, so he does go after people if he needs to. But maybe it's because they're friends. Maybe it's because he thinks Biden might get the nomination and it's better to support him. Uh, it's hard to know what Bernie's thinking, but uh, if I had to guess, well, so I've, I predicted that uh, Bernie will have at least one more surge. Could be more than one, but I think he'll have at least one more surge, and it could be coming really soon. And it could be becoming because of this, you know, if he decides to talk about Biden's mental decline, that should be enough to give him another surge. So it might happen. All right, um, so tomorrow we've got another, uh, another primary, so we'll find out what's what after that. All right, I'm just looking at your comments. All right, looks like that's all we got going. I, I'm, I'm kind of hating all of this uh, coronavirus news because it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because it's important, but it's not different enough every day. I would like to talk about better things. Um, did I buy more Amazon stock today? I, uh, I'm all in on the market, so I'm, I'm just going to wait it out however long it takes. But I did, uh, I did load up on Amazon um, when it dipped. Uh, wait, wait, can you talk more about the oil industry, please? Did you have a specific question? I'm certainly no expert on the oil industry, but you know, the bottom line is that consumers will get lower costs. That's a stimulus. The industry, the shale industry, might get wiped out. We'll see how this goes. All right, that's all we got for now, and I will talk to you tomorrow.